Section 24 of the Watergate Report, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Final Report of the Senate Select Committee on Presidential Campaign Activities, Volume 1. 3. Cabinet Committee on Opportunities for Spanish-Speaking People and the Media Effort a the cabinet committee the cabinet committee during nineteen seventy two was composed of eleven members chosen from the president's cabinet and high-level non-cabinet posts it had a staff of thirty-five mostly of spanish-american descent as described in a fact sheet apparently prepared by that committee the Cabinet Committee on Opportunities for Spanish-Speaking People is primarily a vehicle for carrying out the President's program for Spanish-speaking Americans. Signed into law on December 30, 1969, by President Nixon, the Committee is to assure that federal programs are reaching all Spanish-speaking people, provide technical assistance, and identify new programs which will benefit Spanish-speaking communities, an independent office in the executive branch of the government, the Cabinet Committee is responsible to Congress through the President. While there was some ambiguity in 1972 whether the chairman of the committee, Henry Ramirez, during the 1972 campaign, was subject to the provisions of the Hatch Act, the balance of the staff clearly was. Nonetheless, there is evidence that the Cabinet Committee's staff became directly involved in the 1972 campaign. For example, a document prepared by Armendariz contains the following statement. The Cabinet Committee on Opportunities for Spanish-Speaking People will provide research and staff support to the White House Task Force for all phases of the campaign effort, in addition, its chairman, Henry Ramirez, should be a powerful recruiter of Spanish-speaking support. Whether this document, addressed to Robert Merrick, who was in charge of planning and research at CRP, reached higher officials in the campaign or government is not known. However, an unsigned confidential memorandum entitled Interest Group Reports on CRP Stationery, dated December 16, 1971, and addressed to Attorney General Mitchell, stated, The Spanish-speaking report makes detailed recommendations for highly visual social and economic development projects and for publicizing the same. It suggests heavy exploitation of the Cabinet Committee on Opportunity for Spanish-speaking peoples, which is now closely allied with Colson's shop and Bill Marimoto on political and public relations questions. On January 4, 1972, Jeb Magruder sent a memorandum to Attorney General Mitchell that declared, Central to all our efforts in the Spanish-speaking area should be full politicization of the Cabinet Committee, now on an $800,000 budget and going up to $1.3 in July. The group now works through Finch, but Colson has begun assisting on the political and PR side, Carlos Conde, a Spanish press type, has been put on the committee's payroll and will be working out of the White House in cultivating Spanish media, much as Stan Scott does for black media. Further activity by Conde is described in an administrative confidential Marimoto memorandum to Colson and Malik, dated July 28, 1972, that states, 
Conde completed the updating and checking for accuracy on the Administration Achievement List. The pertinent departments reviewed it, updated it, and signed off on their section as being factually accurate, sent copy to Marimoto for rapid approval by domestic counsel, and then to Armendariz for insertion in speaker's kit. B. The Media Plan there is evidence that the Cabinet Committee's media resources were used extensively for campaign purposes, and that the Committee media operation was reorganized with the specific purpose of improving its performance in this regard. This activity is described in a memorandum from Carlos Conde to seven White House and campaign officials, including Colson, Malik, Ramirez, and Armendariz, dated May 31, 1972, and entitled Spanish-Speaking Task Force Media Team. The campaign to re-elect the President is to present his record and his administration as second to none. The best way to do this is through an effective communications plan that highlights his record in all of the public sectors. The development of the best possible bilingual communications network is essential to the success of the overall plan. The Spanish-speaking media plan developed by this office is now underway, but it has become increasingly apparent in the past several weeks, however, that the Spanish-speaking division of the Committee to re-elect the President will require more support than the plan originally envisioned. This situation has forced Armendariz to depend frequently on this office and on the Cabinet Committee staff support. The Cabinet Committee's Public Information Office, though integrated to the Spanish-speaking campaign plan, has not fulfilled its function well because its staff requires broader journeyman experience. The memorandum presented two alternatives, the second of which, the one favored, was to revamp the existing media structures within the Cabinet Committee and other groups to support the campaign. Apparently, the reorganization was already well underway. A memorandum from Marimoto to Colson and Malik, dated April 28, 1972, stated, For the past two weeks, Conde has been spending considerable time with the Cabinet Committee's Public Information Section, putting a reorganization plan into effect and helping implement some projects that came from the reorganization. On June 2, 1972, Marimoto wrote Colson and Malik that Conde was meeting with Ramirez and another official of the Cabinet Committee concerning a revamping in personnel in order to give better support to Alex at 1701. Part of the effort to gain additional help for the campaign effort involved the use of Diana Lozano, a Cabinet Committee employee, until July 12, 1972. In April and May of 1972, Lozano worked on a number of re-election media projects. The May 31st Conde Memorandum notes, Assisting part-time is researcher-writer Diana Lozano of the Cabinet Committee, who also does special assignments for Chairman Henry Ramirez and Alex Armendariz. The memorandum also argues the need for a researcher-writer on Spanish-speaking topics, and states that Lozano was willing to take leave of absence from the Cabinet Committee to join CRP. On his copy of the memorandum, Malik wrote, Let her work from where she is. No way she can be added. Moreover, in a memorandum to Conde dated June 5, 1972, Malik stated, 
if however alex can still demonstrate the need for miss lozano's help we can arrange for her to remain at the cabinet committee but spend part of her time supporting our activities but two days later steps were taken to put lozano on the staff of the committee to re-elect the president where she officially started working on july twelfth nineteen seventy two when questioned concerning the use of lozano on the campaign before she joined crp malik in executive session stated he did not know she was covered by the hatch act armanderas testified in executive session that he never requested support from the cabinet committee when shown documentary evidence that he had asked the cabinet committee to send him daily news clippings and to translate certain campaign material he stated that these matters were nothing more than requests for information from the cabinet committee c hoy the cabinet committee published a minority-oriented newspaper called hoy which apparently was used in the re-election effort there are a number of memorandums from Armendarez or Malik to Ramirez suggesting how Hoy could further campaign goals. An example is a memorandum from Armendarez to Ramirez dated May 11, 1972, which reads, Your committee's image should be positive and show power, not civil rights. The picture on the first page is bad news. All three individuals, non-Spanish speaking, are minority advocates not a positive spanish-speaking picture in my opinion don't build others just the president his record with the spanish-speaking emphasis in original another apparent attempt to use hoy for political purposes concerned mayor john v lindsay of new york who in nineteen seventy one switched to the democratic party and unsuccessfully ran for president Attaching a May 14, 1972, newspaper article describing Lindsay's cut of funds from a bilingual education program, Armendariz, on June 7, 1972, wrote to Ramirez, How about taking a slap at Lindsay? In response to a staff inquiry concerning this request, Ramirez stated that he complied with Armendariz's requests when he wanted to comply. He said he may have issued a release on his own initiative, criticizing Lindsay, as he similarly issued releases criticizing other officials and agencies. 4. Other Efforts by the Spanish-Speaking Task Force to Promote the President's Re-Election A. La Raza Unida Matter A significant matter uncovered by the Select Committee was an apparent effort to pay La Raza Unida a texas-based mexican-american political party to take a neutral stand in the nineteen seventy two presidential campaign rather than endorse the candidacy of senator mcgovern as was anticipated the first surfacing of this scheme appears in a pair of memorandums on c r p stationery addressed to attorney general john n mitchell one dated december sixteenth nineteen seventy one designated confidential and entitled interest group reports and a similar memorandum dated january fourth nineteen seventy two from magruder to mitchell these documents concerned various interest group reports compiled by bart porter and the staff of charles colson the december fourth document notes that the porter colson spanish-speaking report advocates consideration of undercover funding for la raza unida a splinter party 
in exchange for an agreement that La Raza Unido runs presidential candidates in California and Texas. And the January 4th document states, Perhaps the most interesting suggestion the report makes is that consideration be given to undercover funding of La Raza Unida, a left-wing Chicano political party in the Southwest, in exchange for an agreement that La Raza Unida run 1972 presidential candidates in California and Texas. La Raza Unida has done very well in several state and local elections in California, New Mexico, and Texas. Subsequent memorandums reflect serious consideration of activity of this type. On June 26, 1972, Armendariz wrote, Met with José Ángel Gutiérrez, La Raza Unida leader from Texas, for a get-acquainted session, discussed La Raza Unida's plans and the effect La Raza Unida party is having on the president's campaign. Will continue negotiations with Gutiérrez. A September 8, 1972 CRP memorandum from Armendariz to Malik, the subject of which is the Raza Unida Party National Convention, states, The issue of an $8,000 contribution for Muniz's campaign from the Republican Party was brought up in a meeting off the convention floor. A promise was made to publicly condemn McGovern if such a donation were made. Malik responded to this suggestion by writing on the top margin of the September 8th memorandum, Do you think we should do this? I'm doubtful. How could GOP contribute to a rival candidate? In addition, it seems too cheap. Raza Unida's principles should be worth more than that. Fred. However, the matter apparently did not die there. Less than one week later, on September 14, 1972, Armendariz sent a confidential memorandum to Colson, copied to Marumoto, which relates, In a private meeting several weeks ago, Gutierrez approached this office for a quiet Republican contribution to La Raza Unida. A promise was made to publicly condemn McGovern if such a donation were made. This possibility is still under consideration on the grounds that an effort to maintain the neutrality of La Raza Unida is to our advantage. The contribution would be used for the campaign of Ramsey Muñez, Raza Unida's candidate for the governor of Texas, who won a strong endorsement from the convention. The highest-ranking Raza Unida candidate, Muñez is an attorney and distinguished high school and college football player. He has a clean image, a professional appeal, with no record of militancy, and apparently has the enthusiastic support of the party. The dangers of such a move arouse question as to whether the end will justify the means. Such a contribution would be certain to annoy Texas Republicans as well as Connolly Democrats supporting the president. Furthermore, Raza Unida may have no alternative recourse anyway, which would give us no reason for sticking our necks out. In any event, it is obvious that any contribution should not come from the Committee for the Re-Election of the President— but from an independent third source. On October 30, 1972, in regard to his dealings with La Raza Unida, Armendariz wrote Marumoto, Please be assured that so far everything went as expected. Armendariz noted that La Raza considered both parties untrustworthy. 
he commented that their aim was not an endorsement of the president by la raza which was unrealistic unnecessary and unwise to expect but to disassociate it from the democratic party for which its members have voted unanimously for decades the purpose of disassociation is to elicit criticism of mcgovern a copy of this memorandum went to malek meanwhile the spanish-speaking team was apparently attempting to secure the neutrality of la raza unida by utilizing the grant process involved was a three hundred ninety one thousand two hundred and six dollar oeo grant to the zavala county health association which texas governor preston smith had vetoed on july twenty seventh nineteen seventy two an october ninth nineteen seventy two c r p memorandum from armendariz to malek states that it is important for political reasons that the administration override that veto as armendariz explained should the poll gap tighten in texas the neutrality of la raza unida will be important our studies indicate that there is seventy per cent approval of raza unida among mexican-americans in texas the fact that there are about one million political mexican-american voters in texas and that humphrey won that state in nineteen sixty eight by only thirty eight thousand votes substantiates the possible importance of la raza unida's neutrality in this election we have no way of publicly supporting this group without antagonizing republicans and making la raza unida look as though they had sold out at the same time neither do we want to antagonize raza unida supporters and drive them back into their old position as democrat voters the zavala county grant provides us with an opportunity to support the party indirectly in a positive and legitimate manner such an action is likely to strengthen their position of neutrality which is so politically beneficial to us on october second nineteen seventy two armendariz wrote a confidential memorandum to white house aide kenneth cole again stressing the importance of keeping la raza unida neutral through election day and explaining that la raza unida would become more conciliatory if certain specified programs in addition to the zavala county grant could be sprung loose within the next few days in his november fourteenth nineteen seventy two campaign report armendariz indicating satisfaction with the role played by la raza unida stated as the raza unida convention endorsed no candidate for president it was clearly to the advantage of the GOP to attempt to maintain the neutrality of this group. A Zavala County health grant became a controversial issue despite the fact that this administration overrode the veto of Governor Smith. To placate irate Raza Unida leaders, overtures were made to assist them by expressing interest in grants of interest to them. When questioned in executive session concerning his role in this episode, armendariz claimed that at no time did he approve a payment of eight thousand dollars to la raza unida in exchange for their neutrality and that his memorandums should not be construed in this manner he portrayed his role as only a conduit for information armendariz said he had no knowledge that any campaign contribution to la raza unida was actually made b reyes lopez tijerina matter on August 29, 1972, Henry Ramirez sent a memorandum to Armendariz on Cabinet Committee stationery, attaching a letter to Ramirez 
from reyes lopez tierina who was then on parole following his conviction for assaulting government officials during a demonstration in new mexico ramirez's memorandum states please see attached letter with specific reference to the third paragraph mr tijerina indicated that he would work for us in return for due considerations i await your recommendations if you want me to move on this matter the tijerina letter dated august fourteenth nineteen seventy two reads in part i'm very glad that i got to know you i also want it very clear that i am very thankful for what you mentioned to me in your office concerning my probation parole and the possibility of a full executive pardon as i said it before while i was in your office i want to repeat in writing most of the spanish-speaking people in the united states would feel grateful if an executive pardon would be granted in the meantime i want to offer my service or contribution without reservation to your service all the spanish-speaking people and to harmony between our people and all others in the united states please do not hesitate to call me any time for any service on the bottom of ramirez's memorandum armendarez made the following handwritten notation h r talked to lujan call nine six seventy two armendarez testified that he took no action concerning the proposal but told ramirez to call congressman manuel lujan jr concerning the problem ramirez stated in a staff interview that he believed the tijerina case should have been reviewed and that he sent the memorandum to armendarez because he was a good contact man who could bring the problem to the attention of the right people ramirez claims his help was not conditional upon campaign support armendarez and ramirez stated that the tijerina matter was not pursued further congressman lujan when contacted by the committee said he could not recall discussing tijerina with armendarez or ramirez c alfred hernandez matter alfred hernandez was head of the spanish-speaking democrats for nixon effort evidence developed by the select committee suggests that while negotiations were underway to gain his support for the re-election effort there were also discussions with him as to his interest in a federal position particularly a federal judgeship while all participants deny a quid pro quo arrangement various memorandums and documents reflect the relationship between support and appointment a may twenty sixth nineteen seventy two administrative confidential white house memorandum from marumoto to colson and malik reads conde traveled to houston with armendarez to meet with an influential mexican-american democrat who is thinking of supporting the president in november alex is to continue the discussions with him and work out the scenario if he comes aboard on june eighth nineteen seventy two armendarez wrote a memorandum recipient not indicated regarding hernandez after describing hernandez's democratic credentials the memorandum continues impressed with the president's record in assisting spanish-speaking and disenchanted with a lack of recognition from democrats mr hernandez is considering taking action in public support of the president mr hernandez has hopes that this move will bring him better recognition than he has received from democrats the following day june ninth armendarez conde and marumoto met with hernandez regarding his potential support of the president 
Then on June 12th, Marimoto wrote Hernandez a letter. It was good to have seen you again, and particularly to hear of your interest in supporting the re-election of the President. I want to emphasize that if you implement your plans as we discussed, the President will adequately recognize you. Finally, a memorandum dated August 18, 1972, from Marimoto to John Clark, reads, If any vacancies come up for the federal bench in Texas, 1701 and our operation would like to see Judge Hernandez appointed. He is a Democrat who is presently heading the Spanish-speaking Democrats for the president, and is a three-time past national president of LULAC, the largest Chicano service organization in the country. It would be a real coup if we could appoint him. The propriety of the handling of the Hernandez matter was pursued by Senator Talmadge in his questioning of Marimoto. Talmadge. Were you not aware of the provision of Title 18, Section 600 of the United States Code, that makes it a crime to promise federal employment or other benefits under consideration for political support for a candidate or political party? Marimoto. Yes, sir. Talmadge. Isn't that the indication of these documents that I have just shown you? Marimoto. One moment, sir. I would like to re-emphasize that there was no promise or no offer whatsoever to Judge Hernandez about a federal judgeship. Talmadge. The letters speak for themselves. But I understood that you made a specific pledge that he would be appropriately recognized. Marimoto. That is right. Talmadge and then shortly thereafter you recommended him for a federal judgeship. In fact, Hernandez was not offered a federal judgeship after the election. He was, however, offered a commissionship on the Consumer Safety Products Commission, which he declined. D. Ed Pena Matter The evidence before the committee indicates that certain administration and campaign officials sought to discharge Ed Pena Director of Compliance, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, for favoring Democratic candidates. On May 19, 1972, Marimoto wrote an administrative confidential memorandum to Colson and Malik, which reads, Working with Kingsley, Ramirez, and Rodriguez, read the dismissal of Ed Pena, Director of Compliance at EEOC. Two weeks later, on June 2, 1972, in a similar memorandum, Marimoto wrote, Continuing to work on the following vacancies, Developing a case re Ed Pena, Director of Compliance at EEOC, GS-17, who has been violating the Hatch Act. Then on August 25, 1972, Pena became the subject of an entire confidential memorandum from CRP staffer David E. Florence to Armendariz, which dealt with Pena's activities at a convention of the supposedly nonpartisan LULAC Supreme Council. Pena was accused therein of attempting to undermine our efforts. The memorandum continued. Later, Pete Villa commented to me that Ed Pena thought LULAC was getting too Republican, and that he, Ed, wanted LULAC to invite Shriver to the October Supreme Council meeting in Washington. It is my belief that one of the reasons Pete Villa and Roberto Arnelas follow Ed Pena around and speak up for him is so that they will be in thick with the McGovern administration if McGovern is elected president. 
it is my belief that it would be wise to terminate Ed Pena from his position as a GS-18 at EEOC. When questioned at public hearings concerning Pena, Marumoto testified as follows. Montoya, tell me about Ed Pena. Why were some people anxious to get him fired? Marumoto, he was just vocally expressing anti-administration sentiments. Montoya, did the White House have a policy of doing that to every employee of the government who was against the president? Marumoto, no, sir. Montoya, why did you pick on Mr. Pena? Marumoto, I guess he was the most visible. Montoya, was there anything different from what Mr. Pena was doing than from what various persons were doing who were working in similar positions who may have been Republicans? Marumoto, I don't think so. Mr. Pena, in fact, retained his position. E. Request for a Demonstration The evidence presented to the committee indicates that in one instance Marumoto asked an official of a federal grantee, NEDA, to supply people to stage a demonstration in support of the mining of Haiphong Harbor in front of the offices of the Los Angeles Times. Marumoto testified as follows. Dash. Who was Mr. Alfred Villalobos? Marumoto. He was at that time the executive vice president of that organization, NIDA. Dash. Did you ever ask him to stage a phony demonstration in front of the Los Angeles Times office? Marumoto. Yes, sir. I don't know if I agree with the term phony. Dash. What term would you use? Marumoto. I was asked on that particular occasion by Mr. Colson, when the Los Angeles Times came out with an anti-administration editorial, I believe, I can't recall the particular subject, but we had asked if Mr. Villalobos would organize a group to demonstrate in front of the Los Angeles Times. Dash. Did you receive cooperation with that request? Marumoto. I think after a couple of days he called back and said he just could not do it. In a staff interview, Villalobos indicated he did not think Marumoto's request was proper, and therefore decided not to honor it. F. Holding Back Census Data In one instance, the campaign team unsuccessfully attempted to delay the release of information by the Census Bureau which was considered detrimental to the re-election effort. An administrative confidential White House memorandum from Marumoto to Colson, dated July 7, 1972, relates, Conde discussed with the Census Bureau the upcoming social and economic report on the Spanish-speaking. The report will show that the Spanish speakers are doing better by comparison than the blacks, and the question is whether the report should show that comparison. It will have a Spanish-speaking Anglo comparison, which, of course, will show the whites in a dominant position. The representative also talked to Des Barker on this. Conde discussed this with Alex Armendariz of 1701, and the inclination is not to show Spanish-speaking black comparisons. Report is due out July 20th, and Conde will look over the figures with the census representative, and determine if, other than census, media dissemination is warranted.
a july twelfth nineteen seventy two c r p document from armendarez to marumoto entitled selected characteristics of persons and families of mexican puerto rican and other spanish origin march nineteen seventy two reads we have reviewed mr joseph r wright jr's memo to mr desmond barker on the subject matter and offer our views on the subject hoping some action can be taken to stop publication for the reasons mentioned below our position is that any statistical data which show the spanish-speaking community lagging behind other elements of the population will be construed as the fault of the incumbent government emphasis in original two days later marumoto in a july fourteenth nineteen seventy two white house administrative confidential memorandum wrote colson and malek that armendaris and i reviewed the census material on the spanish speakers that is to be released soon recommended some information be held back marumoto in public testimony confirmed that an attempt was made to restrain publication of census data that might have had an adverse political impact in the spanish-speaking community however in a committee interview desmond barker of the census bureau said he recalled no contact from white house or campaign officials concerning this data he stated that the information concerned was not held back but was released End of section 24. Recording by Maria Casper.